Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. You have been with us. We're in this series, Not Just Human. And folks, we've been diving in on this idea of what does the Bible talk about when... um, the gospel, what happens actually to us? What's God's intention for us? Uh, this idea of our identity, um, who we are in Christ. And this morning we're going to be um, picking up in uh, chapter 6 of Romans, verse 12, through the rest of the chapter. I've got some ground to cover this morning, and uh, uh, with your help I'm going to get through it. Um, we have a lot of words, a lot of ideas, and I'm going to try to wrap this up in a way that we can hold on to it this morning and drill a little deeper into this idea of uh, who are we? Um, what has God saved us to be, right? So Father, thank you for this morning and the time to be in worship, to fellowship, encouraging one another. Um, Jesus, you promise that you're with us um, when we gather together and uh, Holy Spirit, come now, awaken our hearts, bring your word alive to us, Lord. Meet us where we're at. Lord, you know where each and every heart is here. You know what we're struggling with, Lord. You know where our faith is at, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, come and, and minister to us, Lord, this morning. Uh, we trust you, Lord. We love you. And Lord, I just pray you pour out joy, Lord, the promise of the joy of the Lord in our hearts, in the hearts of your people, Lord. Um, regardless of our circumstances, Lord, knowing who we are in you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me uh, begin just by asking a question of y'all. Um, <clears throat> how is just hangout time going? Do you have margin in your life where you can just hang out? with faith friends or other friends? Is there margin in your life where you just have that time to hang out with no agenda, no goal, just to hang out and, and to be with others and be yourself? How's that hangout time going? I uh, heard a, a podcast, actually it was, I think, connected to the New York Times or something like that, and it was a complete secular thing, but they were just looking at this issue today, how uh, loneliness has taken over. And, and one of the things they looked at was, and this is just from a sociological standpoint, is we no longer have margin. Um, I, I uh, was thinking about this, this this week after listening to this uh, podcast, and it just started me th- kind of thinking and even now we were going to go back to see the kids in, in Texas I grew up on my grandparents had a farm and ranch and I work in the summer and all these country roads and I drive this old Chevy truck this you know three in the tree anybody remember three on the tree I'm getting really dating myself how many of you have ever driven a three on the tree you know what I'm talking about oh okay Oh, wow, that's unbelievable. A bunch of old folks in here this morning. So, <laughs> unbelievable. Three on the trail. Oh, very cool. So, you know what I'm talking about. And I blew through on who knows how many clutches, but I'm getting sidetracked here. Um, but my point was is that even when we go back to visit family, that there is this idea that the neighbors will drive over in their truck, open the tailgate, and you just sit and talk. No agenda. You just are with each other. 
And the whole atmosphere is just kind of a gear down there. And that's why I love going back. I just drive those old country roads sometimes. Just, there's a sense of, and you'll see some old, you know, friends or whatever, and you just stop. And, and the other thing is when you're driving, everybody, when you drive by a car, there's a wave. And folks, I just said, where's those times gone? The other thing I throw out to you, think about is where are those places today where you can just hang out? Like where are the hangout places today? In your life, where do you just go to hang out? Just to be with friends. Remember, it used to be the front porch. Man, it used to be just the house or the backyard. But today we got fortresses. We got, what, what, what happened to that? But let's drill down even tighter. And somebody was just telling me, like, all the bars are closing in Aspen even. I mean, it's pretty tough. Where are you going to hang out? All right? Remember, bars, folks, exist because people don't have a home to be invited into. Do you get that? People want community. They want a place to be with others. Where are those places? And uh, I, I just throw this out as we get started because there's an intimate connection to this and our relationship with God. And I just ask you to go a little deeper here. How's that hangout time with God? I was convicted this week just in a big way that uh, slowly, I don't know what's happened, but I, the Lord, I, Lord kind of revealed it to me that my time even with God has been so, like I'm restless, i got all these things I want to read and write and do and, and get God to give me an answer for and um, it, it's turned into like a business meeting with God or something, you know, our to-do list. And you know, the overwhelming thing is you look at Scripture and what God wants, he wants, he wants hang time with you. He wants His children to come to Him just because they want to be with Him in His presence. And I just, that might be a foreign thing to you. I just ask you, do you know what it is just to be in the presence of God? Just, just to enjoy being alone with God and, and speaking to your Abba Father and rejoicing what Jesus has done for you, rejoicing in the promises of God and with no agenda. Oh, there's a time to pray. There's a time for all that. But just hang out time with God to listen and we can't progress we can't lay hold of all the promises of God without that without learning and pressing into that and and so I take that back into there's an intimate connection between among God's people the loss of that hangout time with God in worship and hearing his voice and a connection with hangout time with faith friends and others just to be with each other uh, the restoration of this, folks, I, I just, we're going to talk more about this, but I'm just going to give you a little sneak peek, but we have to restore a table fellowship. We have to restore that time of, of God's people being the most hospitable people in an entire city, right? A time where we, as God's people, are constantly bringing people around the table just to hang out, to share a meal, and to be together with one another. And for those who don't have, right, a house, a table to come around, right, to bring them, right, around, right, the table. Um, That is the greatest expression throughout all culture and time. It's the dinner table. It's the meal table. And that's why we, uh, even communion, right, God himself is the one who put this together. The importance of that just being with one another 
and obviously being with God. So that's going to lead me into this larger question, folks. Has his story become our story? I want you to just take that question. You miss everything else we're going to go after. We're going to go in a broad message this morning um, as we end this chapter. Has his story, history, become your story? The story of God. And do you know that history is the story of God? When I start growing with God, when He saves me and He puts His Holy Spirit in me, I start seeing things differently. I start seeing my own identity as a child of God. And now one of the big things that happens is that I start seeing myself as part of the bigger story of God. As part of the bigger story of the history of what God is doing. And just a little side note, we have no clue where we're going as a nation or a culture now. We've lost every bit of a story. We've lost every bit of a meta-narrative. Nobody can tell you out there, the smartest minds in the highest education with all the things that are happening, no one can tell you where this is all headed, where this is going. And here's the joy of being a follower of Jesus is when He saves you, He brings you into His story, into this incredible... And why so much peace and anxiety? Because we look at the craziness in the world and we get all freaked out and anxiety. We step back, we're with God and we realize, God, you've got this in your hands. Every bit of history, nothing surprises God. Then the scripture says, the kings of the world are like channels of water in the hand of God. He moves them according to His will. He's at work. He has a plan. And that plan from the beginning is salvation history. His plan is to redeem right, a people from this fallen earth, from the, the fallen Eden, to back to be His children. That's what God ultimately is concerned about in this world. And, and the justice, right, How is this rebellion, this grand rebellion that just perpetuates throughout history, how's it going to be solved? God has a story. And when we come in to grow in our identity, who we are as a child of God, we also expand in the sense we're brought into His grander story, right, to have peace and rest in in our minds as we start to read the Bible. This is the filter that we look at history from. I just ask you, I don't know, do you have any history majors or buffs in the... In the house, uh, when you took history in, in college, whatever level it was, did they ever talk to you what, what the purpose of history is all about? And here's one of the, the problems, right, with our education is there isn't this larger thing to put, make, under, you know, so we can understand what's going on. What's the purpose of history? And that moves us into metaphysics. That moves us into larger questions of the heart and the soul. The real questions, right, that we should seek and, and understand. And so when God makes us a new creation, when the Spirit of God comes in and awakens our eyes, awakens us into relationship with God, it awakens us into His grand and glorious story. And to be a new creation, folks, we need a new language, and that means we need to understand new words. We need to talk differently. We're childs of, of God now. We, we have become pneumaticos, as we saw last week, which is the Greek word for spiritual people. God's children who have the Holy Spirit inside them. We have a new destiny. We have a new world view. It's God's view. We have right, a, a new language that we need to understand. It, and that leads me into this chapter because we're gonna, we have a lot of heavy language in this, these verses. 
Um, and, and here's where we've gone. Typically as the church, is, at least in the last um, several years, is we've kind of watered down the language. We're too afraid of, oh, that's a big religious world. We've got to stay away from that word righteousness or holiness. Right? You know, we, we try to water it down, right? And we actually become more like the world. We don't use and understand this language that um, God's Word gives us. It's, it gets watered down. Or we talk about, oh, we've got to stay away from, you know, you've heard the language that Christian Christianese, right, where Christians use this language, and there's something to that. We don't want to just use language to be self-righteous, that I've got this heavy spiritual language. We need to bridge to a culture that doesn't understand it. But as God's people, we need to embrace it and have a new language and understand these terms and understand God's Word with the help of the Holy Spirit and with one another. Grow deep in that language to understand God's heart right in His story. We can't understand our identity. We can't understand God's larger story without understanding His words. Without understanding this language, right? They were to use. Um, and the problem is the world has redefined some of these terms. Sin, grace, righteousness, all these kind of things. But these are beautiful. These are things that we should understand and, and richly embrace right in this life, this new language. And folks, one of the first things that should happen, evidence that the Spirit of God has saved me, has come into my life, that I know Jesus and I walk with Jesus, is that the Holy Spirit convicts me about my language. It's the first thing, is that one of the great evidences, we're going to look at a couple this morning, but one of the great evidences that my life is changing, that God's inside me, is that, oh, I, uh, I, I start getting convicted about my language and how I talk, words I use, things I say. And that's the Spirit of God slowly just moving us, right, into being His new creation, a child of God with a new, gracious Beautiful language. Okay? So with that said, let me dive in um, here to uh, the Word of God this morning. So what we're going to look at, I'm going to take us on kind of a, a big picture view this morning. We're going to read the Word of God, and then I'm going to focus on some of these words and lay out the story of God, the story of history. Um, and to realize that this story, through these words, is your story if you know God is that these go hand in hand, the story of history, the story of God and the gospel, and what He does in our lives through the grace of God, these go hand in hand together. So with that said, let me dive in. We're picking up, I'm going to step back to verse 11 in chapter 6. And remember, Paul is writing to the church, and, and every one of these sentences almost is a deep theological truth that we sh- should dive into deeply. We need to understand these terms. He's writing to the church in Rome. They understood these words. And today in the church, with all of our knowledge and all the resources, we struggle oftentimes to lay hold of this language. And this is where we need the Spirit of God to speak to us, right? To um, give us insight, right, into His truth. And so here's the Word of God. May we be hungry for it. Paul says to the church, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, this idea by faith, we are to um, come and we're to consider, we're to make a faith commitment, right? which means I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to that old life. I'm alive to God now. And let God work. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace now. You've been transferred out of the power of the law. You're free from the law. You've been put under grace. This radical thing that's happened to you when the Spirit of God has come inside your life. And so these verses, what Paul is is breaking down here is, is our responsibility. Because of being united with Christ in His death, His burial, and resurrection, because of His forgiveness, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, this is now our responsibility with that truth. And so he's getting down some practical things of, of how we should live. And the next few chapters that we'll be getting into breaks that down even further. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And Paul's always... Because the question that came from the early church, right, and from Pharisees and people from a Jewish background, you know, who it was all about the law. It was all about obeying the law. So the questions that always came, wait a minute, this idea of grace is... We don't understand this. If that's true, then why don't I just sin all the more and more grace? And Paul kept dealing with that. No, that's cheap grace. Heaven forbid is what that means. May it never be. I don't take lightly this gift of grace. Because of that grace, we should be all the more motivated right, to serve and obey the one who has given us that forgiveness and has loved us that well, right? By no means. Verse uh, 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey? Now he's using a very practical, as we're going to see, human illustration in that time of whoever you obey, that's who you're enslaved to. You're slaves of the one whom you obey. Either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are now committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking human terms. In other words, he's using the human illustration of slavery um, that everybody obviously knew at that, uh, was aware of at that time because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now this idea of members, this means my mouth, my, the entire mind being, everything that my physical body is made up and, and my emotion, my mind, will, it's all presented, right, um, in obedience for the purpose of sanctification. He saved us to make us a new creation that we would be conformed to His likeness, right? Something not formed by this world, world, but something like Jesus. Beautiful creation that only He can create and do by the power of His Spirit inside us. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, when you're when enslaved to sin is that we don't have the ability to be righteous. We don't even desire righteousness. We don't desire holiness. Again, I take just proof of this. Who's talking about holiness out there? Who in our culture among young people today? Right? Swiping away. Who is concerned about being holy? Who's concerned about being righteous? Right? These are not these are Things we're blind to, incapable of, unless God moves. But what fruit were you getting at 
at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. Don't raise your hand, but anybody ashamed of anything you've done in the past? Boy, wouldn't it be great just to go and wipe that out? And here's the amazing thing, folks, is that when you receive Jesus, guess what He does? His blood covers it. Takes that shame, takes those things, and covers it. Oh, I still have the memory of it, but that memory should always bring that back under the glory of the gospel because as we're going to get to chapter 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow! That's living free. That's being free from sin. Even from the things I was ashamed of that I did. But Paul's point here is to say, what fruit came from that action? Let's just go back to college days. Let's go back to high school. Let's just go back however many years. What fruit, when you look back on your life, what existing fruit, good fruit, came from giving ourselves to sin, giving ourselves to the flesh, giving ourselves into impurity, lust, everything else, right, that comes greed, go down the list of things. What fruit is existing now in your life from those things, from those acts? Paul's saying, no, it leads to death. And it sets in our life for the future and others around us, right, something that we're ashamed of that, no, but again, I say, who is looking in our culture today? Just be you, all the stuff now. Just build yourself up and do what feels good and everything else. Right? It's leading people towards death. Death, not fruit. They're going to look back on this. Right? And, and not just be ashamed, but be like the wasted years. But folks, the good news is the gospel covers that. It's the only thing that will fix that. Right? Ultimately. So, um, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification. Becoming holy, becoming like Christ. Things that are not ashamed of. This is why the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, jealousy, self-control, these there is no law. In other words, having the Spirit of God bring forth that life, there is never shame associated, never guilt associated with that thing. None of those things will bring about breaking of the law. Because it's tied to God's character and we're to become like that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. That should be, that's Romans 6.23, that should be on everybody's heart and mind. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift, the gracious gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. And we should be engaging ourselves, but also others. It's like, there's only two routes. There isn't a third road. There's either the narrow gate or the broad gate. There isn't a third gate. It's either embrace sin and, and live life of my own, right? Or, or it's to take hold of, I want the I want God, I want that eternal, I want that free gift. It's received by faith. Amazing. And folks, that's the course of history. And let me just take, uh, if I can, take us on a little, a little journey here this morning. So I hope you'll take 
these terms and these verses. I'm not going to have time to go to all these verses. I hope you'll take them down, take a picture, whatever it is. I hope you'll take some time because this is your story. If you know Jesus, what I'm getting ready, not only the history of the world, but this is your story if you know Jesus. And these things come together and the question I should be asking myself is, has his story become my story? Have I come in to belong in the house of God with God's promises for my life? Or am I still struggling in vain, trying to make a life for myself, trying to make my own story? So, here we go. When history becomes our story, or when his story, remember, he's the king of history. He's the one who created all this. He's got a very clear plan moving forward, and I'm going to just show you how clear it is. The question is, are we going to be a part of that? Are we going to continue on right in the beginning? We go all the way back to Genesis. Sin and death. In Romans, Paul clearly in chapter 5, he lays it out, is that sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death came through that sin. And we go back to chapter 2. What did God say? He created Adam, put him in the, gar- put him in the garden, get the garden ready for Eve. And He gave him some clear spiritual responsibility. Adam, you can have of all this, but do not take of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, the day you do, you will die. You will die. And uh, from that moment on, right, we know what happened, right? We, we know the rest of the story, right? We know that uh, temptation came through the enemy and Adam and Eve fell. They died. Now, they didn't physically die, but what happened? Is immediately they were cast out of the garden, right? Is that heaven itself was, God was lopped off, removed from this earth, Right, and Adam and Eve were sent right into this world with a sin nature now. They were bound by sin and death is that they started to reap. And because of that, every bit of the rest of creation, every one of us is bound by sin. We come into this world with the sin nature. We come into this world with uh, a self that desires to be selfish. And uh, as a parent, I think it's pretty clear, right? No parent has to teach their kid to be selfish. It's built in there, right? It is built in. It couldn't be any clearer. And because of that, that built-in sin, right, is that death entered the world. And this is the course of history, the course of, of the world. And, and just read Genesis and just, if you're a student of history, have we got this figured out? It's just the continual cycle of man doing his own thing, trying to solve his own problems, right? Sin and war and lack of peace. And we have a few little bright lights, but in general, history is the same old thing over and over again. And you can just crunch down all of history down to the Old Testament, down to the history of Israel itself, God's chosen nation to show the rest of the world the light of God and give wisdom to the world. Israel rejected that. It's a whole other story we can talk about. Um, but you should look at that and say, wow, even with all these things, it should be the history that it's this cycle. When we trust God, He brings blessing. When we go our own way and we embrace sin, more death, more sin, more lawlessness takes over. It's the history of the world. And every one of us is bound by those things. And here's where we start. We have to ask the question of, man, am I concerned? young people, Am I concerned about my life? Am I concerned about well, this issue that the world doesn't want to talk about sin, right? It, it wants to talk about oh, what, how we redefine sin. Our culture is a whole other discussion, right? But um, it's all couched now today in oppression. 
Well, people do bad things because they have been traumatized. They've had bad things. They've been oppressed. Right? There's no personal responsibility. Sin has been redefined. And, and so the question we have to wrestle with that's going to move us towards being open to God is, am I going to get serious about the reality of sin, not just in the larger picture, but in my own life? Am I going to get real about, man, my selfishness, all the self-confidence, the self-gratification, self-righteousness, just go down the list of the self-things. Those are the biggest barriers in anybody's heart to receive the grace of God. And what is our culture doing? What is our education doing? It's trying to bolster. Every bit of self is trying to bolster the self. Good luck with that. You will only make your heart harder towards God in that process. Jesus says, deny yourself. The only way towards life is a complete surrender to God and a recognition of our sin, our great need, right, of a Savior. That's where things, where the Spirit of God starts, starts moving. And then we have these other two things is we have the law come in. And we have, in, in, and this goes back to, you can see it all through the Old Testament, even before the law was given to Moses, right? Well, what happened in the garden? What's the sign of the, we just go to the next chapter, chapter 4, and with uh, Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel bring their offering. One's of, of you know, uh, uh, fruit and stuff. The other is of a, a sacrifice. And we see God ex- accept one sacrifice, shedding of blood and rejecting the other, Cain's. There's a built-in sense of law. There's a built-in sense of, of God telling Cain, if you do right, you know what's right here. You know what right worship is all about. And that set the whole course of the gospel, by the way, right? Remember, God, Adam and Eve tried to cover their shame and hide from God with fig leaves, and God's the one who made the first sacrifice. He gave them clothes of skin. It's a picture, folks, of the gospel. God, in His grand history, He had had it set, the land that was slain before the foundation of the world. He's working throughout history, right, to redeem a people unto His, his own who have free will and who've gone their own way, sheep without a shepherd who continue to reject, right, God and do our own thing. God has a solution. He's coming after us, as we sing about, um, with His grace and with the glory of the gospel. But in Romans 5.20, it says this crazy thing, just the previous chapter, says, now the law came in to increase sin. Now, um, has anybody here ever not broken, have you lived your life without breaking the speed limit? Anybody done that? Anybody ever, like, not gone over 55? Now, I just use this illustration to make a point, right? Is that you're driving along, and uh, bottom line is, we have this built-in thing, and for all the officers in the room, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's kind of this built-in kind of curve thing that says, you know, if I'm under about 10 miles an hour, if it's 55, I can probably get away with 64, maybe, you know? I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe state patrollers a little, I don't know. And uh, it, is that just me, or is everybody good with that? <laughs> Okay, just want to make sure. Just showing my sin, my <clears throat> my rebellion, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, so here's the deal: is that first of all, is it's a beautiful illustration, right, of what God is saying here. The law comes in to increase sin. Now I see that sign. Ugh, that's the right. It increases. Now I have a choice: am I going to obey that or not? All the law does is say, "Here's the mark." And the law, right, in the scripture always speaks about the law that's tied. It's not, it doesn't change in ebb and flow. It's the law of God that's tied to his character. And in the Sermon on the Mount, God, Jesus took the law and he elevated it to a whole new level, right, of the heart. 
Because it's tied to the character of God. And when we see that, we're like, oh, I, got to, I, I have to do that. Well, here's the deal is that God does not grade on a curve. He's perfect. There is no flux. It's either obey or not obey. And if I don't obey, I'm guilty of the law, uh, guilty of d- disobedience. And I, I need something to cover that. And here's where God provides the answer, right? With His, with his Son. And so the law comes in and Galatians tells us that the law should be a tutor. It's a guardian. It was given to us. So that we see the law and we, it should be a wake-up call to see, gosh, I just can't meet the mark. I miss it every time. Because I need someone. In the course of the Old Testament, the, all the law, all the regulations, when you read about it, it should just be this overwhelming idea that Israel just didn't get, but we should get because it's there, right? It's like, golly, the law, here it is, the law can never bring life. Folks, in our culture today, with growing lawlessness, lawlessness is being not only just embraced, it's being actually encouraged. But the law, no matter how many laws you impose, you can't have, God gives law, He gives um, officials, right, to, to maintain law and order, because without it, guess what takes over? Sin, chaos, lawlessness. This has been the case of the entire world. A people can't exist without a law, without guidelines, because we're a sinful people. And it's not just because people are oppressed or traumatized. It's because we're sinful. At the core of our being, we're rebellious. And you tell a child, don't do that. What do they do? They move close to that line. It's built in, right? And so God, in His glory, right, has, has solved this problem for us. He set us free from the law which is staggering. And the law could never give life. And this is what the Israelites struggle with. They should just right, scream, pull their hair out, like how many, how many you know, rams, how many sheep, how many sacrifices is it going to take? God had the answer. The lamb that was slain for the entire world. Finished once and for all. Never again do we have to work for that. This thing fits together beautifully. It answers every big question that we have in the world, in the history of the world. Only the gospel puts it together, makes sense of history, and brings a proper solution to all all of it. Now we change. Those are the two things. Sin and death, the law, right? Us breaking the law is just, humankind is always going to break the law. We cannot obey the law. I mean, look right now. We've now, we're gone so far because we haven't obeyed the law. Now we have officials who are actually promoting not obeying the law. And we have lawlessness upon lawlessness. Like, yeah, young kids, go ahead. Just, just trample across Chicago. It's fine. Yeah, they, they, they're, you know, that's getting out some angst or whatever. It shows how depraved. And folks, it doesn't, it doesn't end. It doesn't turn back without a revival. It doesn't turn back without a, a, a cultural idea of embracing who we are and, and that we're a sinful people. All right, now we're going to move into history. This is where grace comes in, folks, and, uh, and takes sin and, and death. And so God provides the answer through Jesus. He provides the answer, like I said, and, and he, you saw little pictures of this throughout all history of God, what He's going to do. Romans 5.8, right? Uh, Christ died for us. And demonstrate God's great love for us, even while we were sinners. Right? He did this. 
and that grace is more powerful, right? It will bring about righteousness and it's part of this free grace that God has come graciously with a, a solution to this if we'll embrace it and set us free from the power of sin and the power of death. Sets us free. This is why Paul says, no longer do you have to let sin take dominion over your life. You're no, no longer bound by sin. Because the Spirit of God is inside you. You can walk differently. You can walk in freedom. So now let your members, now let your thinking and your body be presented to Him as vessels of righteousness right, for His glory. And no longer does death, the fear of death and not understanding where I fit in this world, no longer right, does any of that have to uh, hold sway in my life. And now what does grace do for the law? Grace sets us free from the law. So why do we keep grappling, folks? In the church, why do we, over history, what happens in religion is we forget the glory of this good news and we continue just to strive and work and, 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 and just get ourselves put under the law. Like, it's what I'm doing and, and try to, by my will, I can do and obey God and, and, and I can try to be good. I can just be self-disciplined enough, right? doesn't work. That lends in spiritual disillusionment. It ends in, in great despair when we try to do it in our own power rather than, as we'll see in chapter 8, by the power of the Spirit of God, embracing letting God do it. Right? Letting Him come in right, and set us free. In Matthew 11, what is, why does Jesus say, Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy, burdened. I'll give you rest for your soul. He is talking to everybody, but specifically he's talking to a people who've been so burdened by the religious leaders of the 613 laws of you've got to do the Sabbath just right, you've got to you know, check the boss just right here, you've got to do this and that right to please God. And, and Jesus kind of just blew all that up. It's your heart. And Jesus says, come to me, man. That is not freedom. Lord, you're still under the law. You still might be right, a, a follower of Jesus, but that law still has you all bound up. Does that make sense? Freedom, folks, from the law. And folks, the Spirit or the law. There's I choose. Either I'm going to set myself under the law or I'm going to be a person of the Spirit. He's given forth the Holy Spirit. And he says, right, in chapter 7, verse 6, this beautiful language, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. God's people are serving in an entirely different way. It's not just about obeying the law. It's about fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with God inside. A radical new way of living as a new creation, folks. It's part of the glory of the gospel. Sanctification. Or lawlessness. I have a choice. And so does society. Right now, we as a society have chosen, have embraced lawlessness. We have no moral code left in this nation. We have no sense of understanding what is right or wrong, right? Um, even they're picking away at the Constitution and everything, right? It, it is all but obliterated. And all that will come, and no one's talking about where all this is headed, right? It's headed towards lawlessness, as it has throughout history. Just study your history, right? And I have a choice. We all have a choice. Either sanctification I can embrace what God has for me to be like Him and under the character of God that determines what morals are, or I can still continue to just buy the lie of the culture that says, man, just choose your own. Do what's right. right? Morals or whatever culture defines right, is, is helpful out there. Now, sanctification, God has called you to Himself to be holy. To be holy. 
And the final one, folks, it's either eternal life or it's death. And here's the, the, the reality of this. Is that if I don't want God in this life, if I don't want His grace and His mercy, I don't want it in, the, in eternity. This, there's not anybody in all eternity who's going to say, man, God, well, I wish you would have made that clear to me. For all eternity, somebody's heart will remain as it is in this world. Do you know that? Your heart, for God or not for God, you have a choice. It's, again, Jesus made it pretty clear. There's either two roads, broad road, narrow road. And the narrow road, right, is one of saying, Lord, I surrender. I need you, Jesus. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I want the freedom from all those things. I want eternal life. That's a free gift. Or the only other option is, no, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do in this life. I'm going to continue to embrace myself, what I want, how I want to live. I'm going to continue writing my story and not let my story be part of God's story. And you know what? For all eternity, I'll be in that same place. Alone. Death mainly means separated from God. And it comes with all the consequences of that. And Jesus' arms are wide open. Come. Come to me. For the wages of sin is death. It's death. It's nothing good. It it moves towards unrighteousness, impurity, lawlessness. I, I think we've seen enough of that in the world. Why do we think we as humans and self can make it any better when it hasn't happened? Especially in our own life when God says, come. But the free gift, the free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Come be a new creation and start to have a view that brings peace and joy to know that God has a grand, glorious story. And He's working and you're a part of it. And he wants to change primarily people's hearts in this. So has his story become your story? Are you still battling with the self-gratification, self-love that culture says? Such a lie leads towards death or embrace the free gift of God. So Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and... um, Boy, we just threw a lot out there. And Lord, I just pray that, Father, that you, um, you'll move. You'll move by the power of your Spirit, Lord. You know where each of our hearts are. Um, break in. God, break in. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.